Well, good morning, everyone. We are ready for our time of preaching, so let me encourage you to take your Bible in whatever form you have it and go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to make it nice and easy on ourselves today. No time at all to find this. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, my name is Matt Agee, and I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Grace, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, first time or a 30th time, whatever it may be. Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, as, as Pastor Phil said, this is, a, uh, this is a unique time in the life of our church. But before I get to that, let me just encourage you. Uh, find your place in Genesis 1. Uh, at the same time, there's a couple things you'll need to really get the most out of this time of preaching. So uh, you want to have, uh, we want to be attentive to the Bible and really uh, just trying to do our best to understand what the Bible says. That's what we're trying to do when we devote our time uh, to this thing that we call preaching. We want to know what God has said. And so we want to have our Bibles open or displayed in front of us. You can also access the sermon notes. You can find those on the Grace Church app. You just find the tab on the home screen. There's also notes on the table just outside the auditorium doors. Those will be a guide as we, uh, as we work through, work through this, uh, this time together. Now, as Pastor Phil said, I'll just reiterate just a couple of things. Today begins a special time in the life of Grace Church, and it's, it's August, which means special things for us and for our families, too. Uh, so our, our rhythm will be this special series that we're going to have on Sunday mornings, followed by these corporate prayer times together at 6 p.m., followed by fellowship in the Family Life Center. That's going to be our rhythm uh, for the four Sundays of August, with Wednesday activities continuing as they are. Uh, and, and just again, regarding this, uh, this prayer time, we're going to hear things uh, through, the, through the Sunday mornings with this series, and I'll say more on that that here in just a second that are going to really prompt us to want to pray and are really going to prompt us to, to gather together to express our need for Jesus together. And there is something significant about when the body of Christ gathers together to pray. Jesus, Jesus himself said, I'm just, I'm just really, our staff, myself, just speaking personally, I'm really just excited for this time with you tonight. I really am, and for the four Sundays. I just hope that you'll prioritize being there. Jesus, when, when his disciples went to him and said, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, okay, pray like this, our Father. And so we pray together, and so we're really hoping that you will do this. Now, for, for this series um, it, itself, I, I just want to tell you that the motivation here really has to do with, with the world in which we live and the, this, content, the, this cultural context in which we, in which we find ourselves, uh, this, this, this time in which God, by his providence, has chosen to place us. This is, uh, this is where God has us. And I, I, I do not need to tell you, uh, you, you may know just even better than me, in so many ways that I don't want to take for granted or assume at all that the world in which we live regarding a few very significant realities is really on the brink of madness. And I don't think it does us any good to deny that. It really does us best to face reality as faithfully and fruitfully as we can. And the reason I think our world and the culture that is our context is on the brink of madness in this way is because there is a wholesale, and I'm really not trying to exaggerate, and I hope you don't sense that I am, just a wholesale rejection of God's good design in a few very important ways, like humanity and what it means to be a human, marriage and is it, is it, is it sacred at all? the family and what makes a family and why ought it to matter, and then the role that the local church is intended to play in all of this. What, what is to be our confidence? Does our mission change because the context around us is a little shaky? 
Or do we continue to place our confidence in the place where it is always intended to be, in the gospel of Jesus Christ? So these are really big questions with high stakes. And when I say that our culture has wholesale rejected God's design for these very important realities, and we'll talk more about this in just a minute, we need to know that what that doesn't mean is that our culture has replaced that rejection with nothing. Something has filled the void. It's important for us to know, for our lives as Christians, or maybe if we're not, if, if we're not Christians in this room today, I'm so glad you're here. You're welcome anytime the doors of this church are open. It is not, it is not whether, but which. It is not whether we will have an authority, it's which authority we will submit ourselves to. It is not whether we will have a standard, it is to which standard we will submit. And so it's not as if nothing has filled it. Neutrality is not an option. And so these are important things for us to consider. And so as believers, perhaps we're confused. I know I am. I, I just, I'm just confused. I, I'm somewhere between confused and, and I, I just kind of vacillate between confused and upset and irritated. I just find, I just find a kind of a full range of emotions as I'm just taking in everything coming at me just like you are. We're uncertain about what to think, faced with questions about gender, the meaning of marriage, the nature of men and women and families, and what the role of the church is to play. Big questions. Now, our, our motivation over these four weeks is, is, um, is not to answer every conceivable question or to address every conceivable situation as if we had time or had the wisdom. Our goal is to create biblical clarity and to allow that clarity, Lord willing, by his word, to create confident and equipped Christians ready to live faithfully and fruitfully for the Lord today. So that's what August has for us, and that's what the Lord has for us, Lord willing. And we just thought it was really necessary to start at the beginning with God and with man in Genesis chapter 1. As you were able, would you stand? We're going to read our passage for today after you've been sitting for a few minutes. We're going to read this together, just two verses. We're going to make some very simple observations. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the words are on the screen and I do want us to read it together and I'll pray and ask for God's help. So let's read now. This is God's word, Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. This is God's word. Let's bow and ask for God's help. Lord Jesus, we come as your disciples, as those who have chosen the good place, what you told us was the best place. When you were talking with those sisters who loved you so much, Mary and Martha, you say to them, this is the best place. This is the portion that can never be taken away, to be, seat, to be, to be at my feet listening to my teaching. So here we are, as your disciples gathered, and, and you know those that are yours, and Lord, here we are, ready and willing to hear and to heed what you say. For this word will set us free. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it divides, it undermines, it conquers, it, it removes our complacency, it undermines our false security. It teaches us what we need to be taught, what we, what we do not have, we are given by your word, what we are not, we are made by your word. 
And so, Lord, we stand here eager to hear, and we know that we stand in Christ if we have trusted in him, not in our righteousness, but in his, through the good news of the gospel. So, Lord, I'm so grateful and, and, and happy, and, and if I could say just eager to, 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 to do what I think is the task, to teach very clearly and to listen very faithfully. So, Lord, I pray that you would give speaker and hearer great grace to hear in order that we may be faithful. In Jesus' great name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Take your seats, friends. Thanks. Now, you've got your notes, so let me, let me just give you the main point of today's sermon as we start by design with humanity. The main point of the sermon today is that being human means being created in God's image, male or female. And that because that is true, we must celebrate God's design and announce God's gospel. Being human means being created in God's image, male or female. And because that is true, once we affirm those things clearly taught in the Bible, we must celebrate God's design and announce God's gospel as where we must place our confidence to bring about the only lasting change that can really happen. And it's appropriate for us to start where we do. And what we're going to do is really zoom in on the second half of the sixth day of creation week in Genesis 1 verse 26. That's where we are. This is the second half of the sixth day of creation week. And it's important to remember what has already happened before we come to this place. Reading through the creation week in Genesis, we meet the God of creation, the unparalleled, unrivaled, almighty God who makes everything from nothing by his word alone. And we meet him with the famous words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this God speaks and he brings about what he wants. He declares it to be and it is so. He says it's good and it's good. This is who this God is. He truly is great and good. And not only is he the only God making all of these things by his word alone, making everything from nothing by his word alone, but he's also, he's also orderly. There's not only the God of creation, there's the pattern of creation. There's an order to the creation week in Genesis chapter 1. There's a, there's a sequence. In the first three days, God forms his world. Sky, land, sea. Days four to six, he fills his world. Birds, fish, living creatures, sun and moon. He forms and he fills. And then we come to verse 26. And it's very easy. I want us to just make the very basic observation of the detail given to describe the creation of men and women, human beings in God's image, starting in verse 26. The text itself signals to us that something unique is happening. Something special is taking place. God is not diverting from the pattern he's followed, but he's certainly doing something different. And this has something to tell us about being human. Now, now why is this? Why is this? Well, the Bible tells us another place. In Psalm chapter 8, David prays like this. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Creation says how great and how glorious you are. And, and he prays to the Lord. He says, when I look, David says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers. Yesterday, my wife and I bought a new bunk bed set for two of our boys, and we were putting it together. Uh, we were assembling it, really, because, you know, 
99% of the work is done. You're just, um, if, you can, if you can operate an Allen wrench and some screws, then you can handle a bunk bed set for a couple of boys. So that's what we were doing. And we were putting it together, and uh, I was screwing in some screws with the Allen wrench. And, I, and, you know, this is a lot of wrist and fingers that you're doing this with. And, 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 and the thought just occurred to me, Psalm, Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, O God. And, and I, just thought, I just thought, you know, I can use my fingers for an Allen wrench and, 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 and some screws to put together a bunk bed. God used his fingers to make Saturn. God used his fingers to make the sun. God used his fingers to make the galaxies. Oh, the vast gap between me and him. My little fingers doing this screw. His little, his, his little fingers. Mercury. Just his fingers. Just his fingers. David, David goes on in Psalm 8 to say, in light of that, what is man that you were mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Then he says, yet you have made him, that is mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Being a human means being crowned with glory and with honor. And that's what this verse is going to teach us. I want to make two observations and then have two points of applications. First, friends, first. From verse 26, we see clearly that being human means being created in the image of God. Being human means being created in the image of God. For the first time in verse 26, God consults within himself. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, image and likeness are, are virtually synonymous. We don't need to get tripped over on the repetition. It's just doubling down on the uniqueness of humanity. And when something is in the image or likeness of something biblically, it means that it's similar to but not identical to the other thing. Similar to but not identical to the other thing. And when we think about this image of God in man, what is called the imago Dei, that, God bear, that, that man bears this, this uniqueness, I think this certainly means both similarity and dignity, similarity and dignity. In, in the one case, it teaches that human beings are like God in a way that the rest of creation is not. It's a very simple observation to make that as we survey everything that happens during the creation week, only mankind is said to be created in God's image. Dogs aren't, cats aren't, sun and moon, nothing else is. Only humans are made like this and in this way. So that's a key observation to make. So certainly this means that human beings resemble God and reflect God back to creation in a way that is unique to them and unique to their personhood. Now, human beings, and we know this just by our own experience, are themselves part of creation. Humans are themselves creatures. We're, not, we're, not, we're similar to God. We're not God. God, the most basic distinction of, uh, of biblical thinking is there's a creator and there's, a cre and there's creatures. And he is outside of his world while being involved in his world. He is transcendent and imminent at the same time. And so while we are similar, we're not him, but there's a way in which we resemble and reflect him while ourselves still being dependent creatures. Now, verse 26 tells us what we are. It doesn't necessarily tell us what this actually means. It doesn't give us the scope of the image of God in man. But I think if you were to just step back and just read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, this historical account of the heavens and the earth, 
I think you're going to learn a lot about what God is like, aren't you? For instance, you're going to learn that, 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 God is, uh, that, that, that God is personal, that he's rational, that he has an intelligence and a will both of desire and of command, that he speaks, that he's creative, that he's clearly a community. Let us make God in our image. He's doing the kinds of things and saying the kinds of things that would lead us to say that he possesses certain kinds of attributes. He is a person. He possesses personhood. He's clearly not a force. He's clearly a being with an attitude and with decisions and with desires. And so we are the very same. And in this image of God, this is not the only place the Bible talks about this. In fact, every other place the Bible talks about man in God's image, it does it after Genesis 3, indicating to us that the image of God in man has been distorted but not erased by sin. It's been distorted but not erased. James in James chapter 3 of his letter in the New Testament says, what are you do? why would you speak to other people like that, those people made in the image and likeness of God? See, he says, you're, <laughs> uh, there's a certain kind of posture you're to have to everybody because they're made in God's image, and that's way after we, got, we were exiled from Eden. This is God's image. There is similarity. It also means dignity. It also means dignity. Perhaps most of all, it means dignity. It means that human beings are in possession of inherent, by virtue of their, of their, cre of their, of, of their creation as mankind, inherent dignity, value, and worth. People matter. People are significant. It is from this idea of the image of God that the church, for a very long time has spoken of human life in the language of the sanctity of human life. That it is to be protected and valued and guarded. And, and, and this is the idea from which healthy local churches and every just society, I think accurately and wisely, speaks of being pro-life. Now, now, when we... When we hear pro-life, I, I do the same thing you do, probably. I'm, I'm, I'm very quick to just slide that right over into the political realm. I would encourage us for the next few moments and for this message to not think politically, but to think theologically. What does the Bible say about men and women? Okay, okay so to say pro-life biblically is just to say pro-human. We're pro-humanity. Humanity matters because God says so. And this image of God is stamped on every human being who lives, who has lived, or who will ever live. Whatever their location, level of development, ethnicity, income, mental, or physical capabilities might be. It doesn't matter if they're in the womb or outside of it. It doesn't matter. The image of God's got nothing to do with personality, skin color, height, eyes, Likes, dislikes, believer, unbeliever. It bears, everybody bears it. Every child, everyone, everywhere is, is, is in possession of dignity and value and worth. And so human life matters. It is to be valued and defended. And by the way, it's, it's, not, it's just true to say that it is the local church, it is Christianity faithfully reading its Bible spread around the world, from which you uniquely get this perspective on human life. 
you, um, there is common grace that exists in humans. Uh, um, so so God, is, God is really good, and, and I mean, just we're these sinful, fallen people, but man, I mean, it's kind of amazing that the world holds together at all sometimes. Well, that's God's common grace. It's medicine and things like that. So, so, so there's, a, there's a way in which uh, humans can bring about good and do good things. But, but it is uniquely the case that Christianity has taught humans matter, so don't treat them like that. Don't do that. That's wrong. Not because they're Christians, but because they're humans, you see. This is the image of God. Uh, Tony Morita, you don't have to know his name, Tony Morita, he's a pastor in North Carolina that I used to be uh, familiar with. He's done a lot of writing on, um, on adoption and orphan care. Uh, for the church and what that means. And his, his actual church is named Imago Dei, which is just the Latin for image of God. I, I really like the language that he uses. What, what we're learning about the image of God here is that, is that Christians should lead the way, he says, in being concerned and promoting the dignity of humanity, he says, from the womb to the tomb. Everywhere in between. That is a pro-human ethic. I love the way he says that. Life at every stage is sacred because God designed it to be so. And this should certainly be reflected in how we treat other people, shouldn't it? I, I, I'm really concerned just as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a Christian, and as, as a pastor, um, that, the, that, the, um, that the people closest to me, the people that I interact with most, have the best experience of me. I think that's just a matter of integrity. And I, I, I am, man, Lord, give me grace, please. I also think I want people that I don't know to have a, a good experience of me because I believe that they have dignity, value, and worth. I don't know about you, but I, 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 can be, I can be real irritable towards people I don't have to have a relationship with. Well, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> I need to repent of that. And it comes from this doctrine of pro-humanity. We are made in God's image. Now, God has more to say about what it means to be human. First, it's to be made in God's image. But second, second, we learn that being human means being created male or female. Being human means being created male or female. We see this in verse 27 where God seems to be doubling down on himself, but he's, he's trying to make a point. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That's, and that's a reference to mankind. There, there is a mankind that exists. In the end of verse 27... Male and female, he created them. Now, God here in verse 27 is, um, is giving us the generalized picture. Maybe, you, maybe you've had the question before. I did. Uh, I, I have, certainly. What's the relationship between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Uh, it, it's simply this. Gen Genesis 1 is like the panoramic picture. It's, it's the wide lens of the creation week. Genesis 2 seems to be zooming in on the sixth day where God made men and women. So here he's speaking generally. When God made the heavens and the earth, a part of that week was to make men and women. Now, God is doing here something he's already done throughout the creation week. He's making a pair. He's pairing off. Now, he's already done that. Sun and moon, the expanse above the heavens and the expanse below, sky and waters, light and dark, creatures according to their kinds. He's already done a little bit of this, but he's also doing something unique. Remember, crowned with glory and honor. Something very different, something at the same time different is happening. He's making a distinction. He's pairing off on the basis of something new, on the basis of what we would call gender, men 
and women. Clearly, friends, God's design for humanity is two distinct and complementary genders, men and women in his image. Now, now, now this, this, this design involves a couple of things that we need to know. This design, tacked on along with the image of God, clearly means equality. For both the man and the woman, men and women, bear God's image. There is no place in Christianity to swallow the, the bait, to eat the hook of this, of this culture-wide sin of envy that says, well, women are better than men and men are better than women. There's no place for that in Christianity. Both equally bear God's image. And in fact, it seems to me that there's something about how the two of them do it together that is necessary. There's no indication in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam, there's one thing, there's one thing that isn't, that isn't, as, that isn't good in the garden. It's a solitary man, a solitary bachelor. God says, I've got to make a helper fit for him. Divine fittedness. But we, there's nothing in Adam that seems to indicate to us that he was feeling any kind of psychological or emotional aloneness. But God deemed we need a pair to equally reflect my image together. So there is equality. But at the same time, there is distinction. They are not the same. God's good and wise design clearly means two persons who are equal but distinct, differentiated but complementary. They are not the same, and yet one needs the other, and vice versa. This is God's design. Quote, the whole wonderful, beautiful, complicated business of two-sexed humanity was God's idea. The whole human race is, always has been, and will be for the rest of time composed of two differentiated and complementary sexes. This perpetual, this perpetual bifurcated ordering of humanity is not by accident, but by God's good design. This is what God intended. The Bible here, my friends, teaches at the beginning and throughout that there are two equal but distinct genders, male and female, and we are one or the other for all time. This is God's design. Now, it's absolutely the case. I just want us to think together about something important. It's absolutely the case, and I, I, in some ways I don't even need to communicate this, but it's very important in direct application to God's word that everything I'm, I'm now saying that we affirm as a church and we, look, we, we affirm this as a church not because we have some sort of political or social agenda. We affirm these things as a church, my friends, because the Bible is our final and highest authority. Not because the Bible is our only authority. I said final and highest. The Bible itself prescribes other authorities, like parents over children, like the civil magistrate. But the Bible is our final and highest authority in such a way that what God commands must be done and what God forbids must never be done. And if God says it, we believe it. And, and, since the, and, and, and I know you, I have received the criticism, maybe you have before too, that you're so arrogant as a, as a Christian to say that, you ha, that, your way, that you are right, 
that you have the truth. Now listen, there is a way to say that to someone that makes you right and wrong at the same time. But please hear me. Grace Church, let's believe together that it is not arrogant to say you were under authority. It's arrogant to say you are the authority. And that's what our culture has done. I told you it's not whether, but which. And so our, as we are under God's authority, our culture has largely rejected the clear teaching of the Bible, whether they know it or not. I'm not, I'm not, claiming, I'm not claiming they know it or not. But I am cl- claiming there's creation and I am claiming there's reality that God has embedded as the creator. There's two ways that, 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 our, that our culture has rejected this design, two of them. One, there's, there are many genders. Two, you can change your gender. Now, we could double click on both of those things and spend hours, I realize that. And there's more that I could say. There's other terminology I could use. There's other situations I could reference. I'm simply trying to say that the culture has done this not because it says it has no authority. The culture has done this not because by rejecting God's design it replaced it with nothing. Instead, our culture has elevated the self to the place of authority in such a way that a a man can write a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. What has triumphed in our day? Self, in such a way that we must now argue positions of authority based upon subjective experience, in such a way that our culture has not just given itself over to be individualized authority, but that it has also adopted a cultural creed, my truth. Now, and the lies come from that, and the double-clicking we could do on these things come from that. Now, it... When you, I don't want to be an alarmist, I just want to be realistic. When you, when you buy into the self is the, is, is the authority and the cultural creed of my truth, it's just very hard for me to deem what is then not permissible. I mean, what, what can you not do now? We shudder to think, maybe. We are under God's authority. And these lies are not just affirmed and celebrated. And what we need to know as followers of Jesus, and we're going to talk more about this as we talk about what we must do as a result of these things, I think it's really important for us to know as followers of Jesus today that it is quickly becoming the case that if we continue to believe the things that we will, and we will continue to believe the things that we do, um, that we are not, that we will not be simply deemed as wrong, but as dangerous and immoral it is quickly becoming the case. Perhaps I shouldn't even add that caveat, that if we believe what we believe about the very basic things that I'm saying here, we will not just be considered different, we'll be considered bad. We will be bad for what we believe. Now, um, that's okay. Um, Let's be bad to them and faithful to the Lord. and, and God can use that kind of witness, I assure you. So, you know, may God, may God do his work. But we see, in the, and, and, and we keep saying, we keep saying our culture. Um, but, but even as you say that, I, I, that still feels like out there somewhere, you know? Like that's on the TV. There's still kind of a safe distance. You know, it's still kind of at arm's length. But that may not be the case. Perhaps these lies, these destructive lies have come close to home to our own, to our own kitchen tables and to our own living rooms in some way, shape, fashion, or form. 
If it has, I am so sorry. And this local church, as one of your pastors, I want to say is committed to offering as much comfort and counsel as she possibly can to help lead us in faithfulness. These are difficult things to consider. Now, given that these things are true, what must we do? Two things that we must do, friends. Let's turn to application. What must we do? First, we must celebrate God's design for humanity. We must celebrate God's design for humanity. So uh, last, early last week, we celebrated my wife's birthday. And um, I, I won't tell you how old she turned uh, for my protection, not yours. Um, and so, and so we, 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 we really, what we did, we tried, the same, we tried to do the same thing you do. We tried to do, say and do more than, than simply affirm her birthday as if, as if we, we remembered it on our calendars. We wanted, to, we wanted the affirmation to be met with celebration. We wanted, the, we wanted the affirmation to be accompanied by joy and gladness and enthusiasm over, over our love for her. Well, that's the posture we have to take with God's design. We have to celebrate it. Oh, man and woman. No, celebrate it. Love it. Why? Why? Because we love God. And because God always does what is good and wise. It's because of what we believe about him. We believe that he is perfect and can do no wrong. And what he makes, he makes best. And even though sin has distorted who we are and how we experience ourselves, it has not erased God's image on us. And we must know this. Look, I think sin, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a big believer in sin. You know, you know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a proponent. You know, I see it's, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a big deal. I'm not saying that doesn't affect how we experience our lives. I'm just saying it's not ultimate. God is ultimate. And what he makes is good. And so we must celebrate this. We must, we, we, we must, we must say, we must, we must consider manhood in all its fullness, all that it ideally can be, and, and the roles that men are intended to play in various areas of life. Now, that's another sermon. Okay? Look at it and say, thank you, God, for men. Men, we should thank God that God made us men. And we should consider womanhood in all its fullness as it ideally is designed to be with all the roles that women are to play in various areas and, and, and roles of life, another sermon, and say, yes, who, who, just repent of the envy. Who, who sets a, a beautiful, just gorgeous beach sunset with the waves crashing in over against a, a, a wonderful mountain cabin up with, with just beautiful trees with rain gently falling and looks and says, well, I got to, they're both beautiful. This is the posture we're to take, brothers and sisters. We, we have to look at our daughters and our sons and our granddaughters and our grandsons. This is what we must do today. We must look at them and we must say, my daughter, you are a, you are a girl made in God's image who will one day be a woman and that is wonderful. And we must look at our boys right in the eye and say, you are a boy that will be a man, and I pray you grow into all that that means, and that is wonderful. This is, it's a brave new world. This is how we have to talk. I'm convinced. I do this with my kids. So, honey, I just, I'm so glad you're, you are just beautiful, just as you are. You gotta do that. 
We have to celebrate God's design. Brothers and sisters, here's what I'm saying. Let us not be ashamed of God's design for humanity. Don't be ashamed. Love it. Love it. Love how God made you. You're right. Sin's distorted you, but it has not erased you. That leads to the third, the final thing we must do. Not only must we celebrate God's design, but we must announce God's gospel as the only hope for humanity. It is true to say that men and women are made in God's image, and it's true to say that human beings are, 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 are a differentiated set of male and female But it's also true to say that men and women, all of them, are sinful in need of the salvation that only God can give through Jesus. It it is true, and it is not simplistic at all to say that all of the problems that I see out there and all the problems I keep running to in here, all all the things that make me wince out there and make me wince in here, are a result of this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Everyone, no one is righteous. No, not one. It doesn't matter their location, level of development, ethnicity, income, mental or physical capability. We are all lost and ruined by the fall. We must be put back together by Jesus Christ. And so what must happen? What will we do today? Believe that our confidence should be somewhere else other than the gospel? Trust in horses and chariots? No. Today, we must believe with all our might, as we've heard throughout this worship time, that the gospel is the power of God into salvation and that there is one man, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The God-man, Jesus Christ, who uniquely is positioned by virtue of his sinless life, substitutionary death, and bodily resurrection to reconcile men and women as broken as they are back to God. This is where we put our confidence. We must be confident and clear about the fact, my friends, that human beings can change. Just not in the way our neighbors may think. Not in the way it's being promulgated and even legislated. We must know that change is possible through the gospel. The only kind of change that's actually possible and the one that in the final analysis matters most, a change from dead to alive, a change from lost to found, a change from unsaved to saved. This is the change we advocate for. We're always working for supernatural change. You and I are always evangelizing in a graveyard. They're dead. And we have to tell them about Christ who makes dead people alive. This must be our confidence in this time. I would like to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of response. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's so good to hear clearly what your word is and what it means. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take these truths, most of all, that, that clear, Lord willing, by your hand, God, clarity was given in order that we can celebrate and announce. And I don't mean announce like you gotta be a preacher. I mean announce as in the gospel is news. Change comes from the announcement of history. That in real space and time, in this created world, the creator entered, took on flesh and blood, the kind of flesh and blood pictured in the Lord's Supper, the kind of flesh and blood that could be hung on a cross, the kind of flesh and blood, mystery of mysteries that could die and the kind of flesh and blood that could be raised as the firstborn of all creation. 
Lord, this image has been distorted in us, but in Christ it is put back together. Christ who is the image and likeness of God, the exact representation of your nature, Father. And so we just cry out to Christ. We lift our eyes and our hearts up to Christ. And we know he is our hope for our, as personal as a sermon like this is for us. Maybe we're going to face massive challenges tomorrow at work. I just, I, Lord, have, Lord, just give us clarity to know what is the best step for us. And Lord, now we're going to respond. We're going to respond by singing again about what you have done. And Lord, I pray that if we have not repented of our sins and trusted in Christ for the first time, that we would take a step and learn more. Maybe we just have questions about these things, but assuredly know more about what it means to transfer our trust onto Jesus to be saved. Lord, perhaps we, we simply just want to pray. Lord, I pray, I pray that we would respond now if we stay in our seats with joy in our hearts over what Jesus has done. So Lord, lead us, lead us and guide us over the next few moments together in your name. Amen.